the Hebrew and I look at my commentaries and I do all that work to get ready to preach the sermon. And I also have to spend a lot of time thinking about uh, illustrations. What's going to make this real? What's going to make it applicable? That sort of thing. Kind of figures of speech. What's going to make this uh, text communicate to people? Well, today, you don't have to do that at this text. Uh, If you've read ahead, you know there's some very vivid images. Dogs returning to their vomit. Clean pigs getting back in the mire. Uh, Wells with no water. Mists with no, uh, and clouds with no rain. Right? So there's some really great pictures in this, in this text of, of uh, uh, the, the nature of these false teachers that have infiltrated the church. And so um, I, I wanted to prepare you for that before I, I read the text this morning so that you have a sense of uh, just how intense uh, Peter is in his condemnation of uh, people who, would, uh, who, who teach things that, uh, that aren't true. So let me read to you 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Uh, This text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, This morning at the early service, I uh, thought, because kids are going to be in here for most of the summer during children's worship, I need to start making my sermon shorter. And so the way I'll do that is I'll start my uh, stopwatch when I get up to preach. And it didn't work. (laughs) So it, uh, it, I meant to preach for 20 minutes and I preached for 39 so we're going to work on that at this service. So Second Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, their blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions, while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. But was rebuked for his own transgression, a speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So here's the thing. Peter uh, believes uh, and is right in believing that truth matters. And that the fact is that people who believe a lie and, and and people who are misled into believing a lie are in trouble. 
And so he, he writes these very scathing and very direct words to the church to get their attention to be careful about the false teaching that has come in uh, uh, and that is leading people astray. So he uses insults. He uses very, uh, very tough language here. So uh, AJ, put my, put my notes up. So one of the things that you have to see about this is uh, that this that this stuff matters, that ideas matter, that what you believe matters. And because what you believe shakes, uh, shapes how you, how you live. Uh, what you believe shapes uh, how you spend your money, uh, how you spend your time, uh, all of those sorts of things. But even more importantly than that, what you believe shapes your eternal destiny. And so um, it's important for us to understand that the truth matters. And, and if God has revealed something to us as the truth, it matters what we do with it, how we handle it, and what we, uh, whether or not we believe it. And so, so what I want to do this morning is, is to begin to kind of help us unpack this just a little bit with a, a quotation from um, the uh, uh, beginning, the very uh, preliminary part of our book of church order. I, I could not remember the last time I quoted the book of church order in worship, and somebody told me it was in 1997. So there you go. <laughs> Don't do it very often. So godliness is founded on truth, right? So the person who looks like Jesus Christ, the person who God is at work in, the person who is trusting Christ and being shaped by him, that all of that is founded upon the truth of the gospel, the nature of the work and the person of Jesus Christ for us. So a test of truth is its power to promote holiness, that is, uh, repenting of our sins, trusting Christ, being being uh, uh, more and more changed into his image, according to our Savior's rule, by their fruits you shall know them. So no opinion can be more pernicious or more absurd than that which brings truth and falsehood upon the same level. Right. So to, to say that it doesn't matter, that truth is, is, is not at stake, uh, uh, nothing could be uh, any worse than that. On the contrary, there's an inseparable connection between faith and practice, between what you believe and what you do, what you believe to be the truth and what you perceive as your duty. Otherwise, it would be of no consequence either to discover truth or to embrace it. And so, so what, what we're looking at today is Peter is, is very clear in saying to this, these people in the church, he sees that false teachers have come in, that they're misleading people, and it's not just a matter of, of some people being troubled, but their eternal destinies are actually uh, at stake because the nature of the gospel is at stake. And Peter uses very intense and very direct and very scathing language to do this. Now, why Why does he do that? Next slide. Next slide, please, AJ. So we live in a time when the use of strong language to condemn error and falsehood uh, is looked upon with suspicion, right? Um, but this is a passage about very, very severe warnings. So what would make Peter write these harsh words to be read to the church? Well, after Jesus uh, died and rises from the dead, he goes out one day and he is on a seashore preparing breakfast as the disciples are out in a boat fishing. Jesus is preparing them breakfast and the disciples fish all night. They don't catch anything. Jesus calls out to them and tells them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat. They do and they, they catch a large number of fish. Peter realizes it's Jesus. He runs ashore 
and he eats breakfast with Jesus and the other other disciples. And then Jesus looks at him and says, now remember, this is uh, after Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is after uh, Peter had denied him the night of his trial. It says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs, lambs, lambs. Lambs are, uh, are defenseless. Lambs are small. They're easy prey. They're weak, right? Uh, uh, and it should call forth from us some sort of tenderness, right? That these, these little ones uh, need, need to be uh, cared for. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep, take care of the flock. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So what we have to see here is that that's what Peter's doing. Peter is taking very seriously the commission that Jesus gave him. And, and that, that matters of life and death and matters of these, these people, this flock, these sheep, uh, their lives are in danger. Their, their spiritual lives are in danger. Their, their destiny is in danger. And so Peter has been commissioned, he's been given the responsibility uh, by Jesus to care for them, to protect them, to tell them the truth. And because Jesus loves the flock, because Jesus died for the flock, because they are his flock, they are his sheep, Peter sees that his uh, commission to serve and to protect and to feed and to nurture the flock matters because these sheep are the ones for whom Jesus died. They are precious. And so anything that would threaten them, anything that would threaten their destiny, anything that would get them off track from trusting in their shepherd and the one who died for them has to be dealt with, and it has to be dealt with in a very stringent way. So... What he does here in the rest of this text, as he's been warning about, uh, uh, about the, the effect of these false teachers, he gives us five things that we can look at in this text that uh, marks them. The first one is, is that they are prideful and arrogant. Uh, and he, he says here, they're even bolder than angels, that they, they will speak in ways uh, to beings and speak in ways that even angels themselves would not speak of because they're so certain and, and they're, they're so uh, clear in their, uh, in their plot and in their, uh, 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 the things that they're doing to mislead people that they're just bold in their arrogance. And so one of the things that, that I want to say about that is we would think, well, I'm not arrogant. You know, I don't, I don't really feel that way. Well, the fact of the matter is one of the things that makes this text so difficult is you don't believe you could believe a lie. You're like, I'm a Christian. I, I've read all the books. I've been to the seminars. I've been to the conferences. I've done all that. I work with Christians. I'm in, here, I'm in the church, for goodness sake. How could I ever believe a lie? That would never happen to me. Never. Never. I could never be duped. I know the truth. I'm, I, I, I see it. I know it. I got it. I got it. Tell me something I don't know. Right? Um, that kind of arrogance about, about our spiritual state is problematic. And I want to I assure you this morning that it never hurts. It never hurts to ask the question, you know what? 
Am I really a Christian? Not so much in looking at the fact, uh, looking at your behavior or, or that sort of stuff, but looking at the fact, does Jesus Christ matter to you? Does, does the fact that he died and bled for you, does that matter to you? Does, does, can you imagine what your life would be like without that? And so, so the first thing that they want to say is that they had this arrogance and this pride that they're so certain and that, that, that um, they're willing to speak very clearly uh, and independent of what the clear gospel is. And we hear that and we think, that could never happen to me. Um, six years ago, my oldest was doing an internship in, um, in Maryland. And one morning the phone rang and I uh, answered the phone and it was my mom. And my mom said, have you heard from Tate? I'm like, no. Where is he? Well, he's supposed to be at work. And she said, well, he's not. He's in jail. I'm like, really? Really? That's good news. That's really great news. Hadn't heard from him. I called Marty. I'm like, you heard from Tate? No, no. Well, Mom says he's in jail. Okay. So... Uh, I call Tate, and he answers the phone, and I'm like, son, what's going on? What's happening? And he's like, I'm in a meeting with my boss. I only took this call because you never call me in the daytime, and so I figured this is important. Why are you asking me this? I'm like, are you in jail? (laughs) Have you been arrested? What are you talking about? I said, Mamaw thinks you're in jail, and she just wired $4,000 to your attorney. Couldn't be deceived, could you? She was convinced that the boy she talked to on the phone was her grandson who was in trouble. That could never happen. I could never be duped. Never. Never. Right? Well, we must uh, take uh, a bit of humility in, in the midst of this to understand that except by the protection and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, any of us could fall. Any of us could wander. And so that's a great place to begin. So, so, the, so the, the, the lack of humility is, is one of the first things that we see about these false teachers that should send off some uh, uh, alarm bells in our head. Next slide, please, AJ. So they misuse the church, the sacraments, and the fellowship. Uh, look at, look at what, uh, what he says here. He says, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Now you hear that and you think, well, that... That sounds like, you know, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? Like, like I, can, I can start the cocktail hour at 11 o'clock in the morning or something like that, right? That's, that's what that sounds like. That's not, that's not really what he's getting at. What he says there is, he says they revel, uh, uh, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. 
They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for, for sin. In other words, what's happening is they are going to the feasts of the church. They're going to the gatherings of the church where, where the, the word is preached and where people gather together and they eat together and those sorts of things. And they're using those opportunities, those, those places, those times where the church gather to mislead people, to, to prey upon the flock, to, to take people and to tell them uh, to, to minimize the work of Jesus Christ, to somehow rather diminish who Jesus is in, in front of them. And so, so and, and they use their own, and, and they're being driven by their own lusts and their own greed and all of those things to mislead people, to get people to give them money, to get people to, 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 to hear them and to, to listen to them and to, to, to be led astray, right? And so, so they're even, they, they're part of the church. They, they show up, they act like they're in the church, but they really aren't. And that's, that's, that's a great thing for us to, to recognize. Peter has said earlier that he wants to make uh, our calling and election sure. And so it is a worthwhile thing for us to ask the question, that, is that really true of me? Am I really trusting Christ? Is he, does, is, does what he say and what he does and what he has done, does that really, does that really uh, matter to me? So, so they're used, they, they come in and they look like, uh, nice people, they, they, they seem so self-assured. They're probably actually the kind of people that you look at their Facebook page and their Instagram and all that stuff, and you're like, they look really cool. I'd like to be like them. But they're doing it to lead the weak astray. It says that like predators, they go after the unsteady, literally, the lambs, the ones who are... Uh, um, uh, well, that, are, that might even be hanging by a thread, that might be struggling. He says they, they entice unsteady souls. And then uh, later on he says that they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. In other words, people who are just barely in the church, people who are just barely heard enough of the gospel to have any kind of sense of who Jesus is, these are the people that they go after. On Sunday nights, uh, usually what we do at our house is we watch PBS, and uh, at nine o'clock all the shows come on with the British accents, right? And so, whichever ones those are, those are the ones that uh, everybody really likes. But before that, because I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen at eight o'clock on PBS, there's always the show Nature. Now. I really like the show Nature. Now, we think nature is this wonderful, benign thing. But trust me, every week, somebody gets eaten. <laughs> right? So, somebody. I mean, you know, we, we like these animals, and we think they're so wonderful, and we think they're so awesome, and they're so cute. And, and the fact is, at some point in this show, one animal eats another one. Right? Uh, and and so what you watch them do is uh, they'll be like some some wolves attacking a, a herd of buffalo, and so what will happen is the wolves they don't just go charging in and like going after anybody they look they look the herd over and they see the weak and the young ones, and they work to separate them from the rest of the herd and then they eat them. Now, the big ones, the strong ones, get between them and the weak ones. And you would think, well, you know, it's just, a, it's just a buffalo. But when the buffalo gets mad at the wolf, they 
take them with their horns and toss them up in the air. And the wolves leave them alone, right? So that's what Peter's doing here. Peter is recognizing that Jesus Christ loves his church and he loves the weak ones. He loves the lambs. And it is Peter's job to get between the lambs and the wolves because those wolves would devour those lambs and would take them and, 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 and mislead them and for their own purposes and their own gain without any concern about their souls or their destiny would take them and lead them, uh, lead them astray. Fourthly, they offer a life that looks good, but it is fruitless and ultimately disappointing. In other words, the the freedom that they offer is not really, really free. He says, um, he says, uh, where did he say this? Okay, he says that they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so one of the things that, that you have to see about that is, is that this, this looks like the way of truth, and it looks like the way of life, but it is not. And so, so what, what Peter is recognizing here is that they're going to take you and they're going to put you in a situation where this looks like the way to live. This looks like uh, uh, what real freedom is. They're going to tell you things like what you do with your body doesn't matter. What they're going to tell you is what, you, what, what, what really matters is what you believe. And so whatever you do in your body, in your flesh, doesn't really matter because God's not interested in that. And anyway, if he was, what the gospel says is, is that you're totally free to do whatever you want to, whenever you want to do it, and don't worry about, about these things called sin because they're just, little, these, they're just these behaviors. It is not a big deal. So just go ahead and do what you want to do. But the problem is, and this is the thing where we get so misled, uh, and, and, and it happens to us all the time, because I cannot tell you how many times people will come and say to me something like this, I know that you think that this thing I'm about to do is wrong. Or worse yet, they'll say, I know that this thing I'm about to do is wrong. But I'm just going to do it, and I'll get over it. Now, if sin were simply a behavior, that might, might be reasonable. But it's not. Because sin is, is, is that, that kind of reasoning and that kind of activity leads to something dramatically darker and harder and worse than the sin itself. Because what sin does to us, when we begin to engage in that, what it does to us is it hardens us. It sears our conscience. It puts us in a place where the the fact is we lose any kind of sensitivity to the fact that this might displease the one who died for me. And so what happens is, as we engage in that over time, the, the, the sinful behavior is bad, but what is worse is the fact that it calcifies and hardens us against the goodness of God. It hardens us against the cross. It hardens us against the, the, the spirit of truth. It hardens us against those things so that one day we wake up and you cannot believe that this could actually happen, that you don't even care anymore. That you would be willing to just give yourself over to these things because honestly... Uh, the gospel means, uh, well, it just doesn't mean that, that much. And 
what difference does it make anyway? And so what we have to see here, what Peter understands is it's not just that, that their behavior is problematic, but what is going to happen to them is that they will harden and become immune uh, to the work of the Spirit in their lives over time. Lastly, they appear to be true believers, but ultimately they are not. It says that their last state is worse than the first. So in other words, what happens to them is they have a little bit of the gospel and they have a little bit of the understanding of the truth uh, of, 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 the, of the scriptures. They have an understanding a little bit of the way the church works, but they give themselves over to this sinful uh, 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 lifestyle. They give themselves over to thinking that really, you know, uh, what they do, uh, what, how they behave doesn't really matter. And so what happens to them is they wake up one day, and it's hard to believe this, but they wake up one day and they're so hardened they can't find their way back. And in fact, they're not even interested in finding their way back, that they've just closed themselves off to the possibility of repenting, of changing of, of engaging in any way at all with the gospel. And so one of the things that that's why he says here that their situation is they would have been better off to have never heard because it is a terrible thing to hear. It is a terrible thing to, to taste uh, of, of, of spiritual life and to have, let, allow it to have some kind of impact on you, but then to turn your back on it, to walk away from it, and to never have any inclination toward it at all. Because that's what the hardening power of sin does to us. And so when he says it makes it actually harder for them, it's, it's worse for them. It's like Jesus said to those towns there in Galilee that it'll be easier on, uh, in the day of judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be on them because they had a witness. They saw Jesus Christ. They heard him teach. They, they were aware of what happened there, and uh, they, rejected, uh, they rejected him. So, so what, what, is, what, what matters here? Why, why bother with, with this? Well, we have to ask the question, what are people worth? What are they worth? Jesus Christ died for these people that we're talking about. And, and so when we think about the nature of what people believe and how that works itself out in their lives, we have to see that the people that God brings into, in, in, into the church, these, these little lambs, these little sheep, are the most precious thing to him. And, and, and so the fact is what might lead them astray, might lead them into a, a place where they couldn't even repent, uh, should be stamped out and should be called what it is and, and should be, uh, uh, there's, there's no insult too great uh, uh, for that. So what are the people in the church worth? One of the things that we have to see about this is, is that, that, that what the gospel does here, one of the blessings that he gives us is to look around us and to see the work of Jesus Christ in one another and to encourage that and to challenge uh, that to happen more and more um, in the lives of people. Um, one of the things that you have to do sometimes is you have to say to people, the truth matters, uh, you are denying the truth, and you have to say it strongly. Um, 
one day I was uh, standing at my kitchen window looking out in the backyard, and we, had a, we, have a, we used to have a sandbox in the backyard. And I see one of my kids in the sandbox with a scoop of sand doing this. And so I go running outside, and I say, this is a sandbox. Do you know what happens in the sandbox? You see that right there? That's not a stick. (laughs) Don't do this. It's going to hurt you. Okay. So they go back. I go back inside, drinking my coffee, looking out the window, and there he is. He's doing it again. And this time, I'm come outside forcefully, and I grab him by the arm, not too hard, didn't bruise, but enough pressure to alert uh, some sensory stuff going on in his brain that oh, oh. This is serious. And I get down and I look him in the eye and I say to him, I am upset. And I am upset because I love you. And I am upset because what you're doing here might kill you. You need to stop it. Because I don't want you to die. Now, my neighbors heard that, Uh, and I drew my eyes down, and I applied a little pressure on that arm. If, If I love you enough, and I see you doing that, which will lead you to death, and I don't take you by the arm, and I don't look you in the eye, and I don't tell you this is going to kill you, then I can't say I love you. So that's what Peter's doing here because he loves these people and he loves them not because he loves them, but he loves them because they're Jesus' people. Because Jesus loved them. Jesus died for them. And the honor and the blood of Jesus Christ is at stake in their lives. And that's why he's willing and, and is, speaks so harshly to them about the nature of, Uh, these false teachers. Uh, Does truth matter? And what are the stakes? Um, And and that's a great question. And and let me me just be clear about this because uh, that quotation that I read you from the Book of Church Order that says godliness is founded on truth. One of the things that I've always puzzled about that since I was in seminary, since I first read that, is, is the realization that some of the godliest people I know, some of the kindest, gentlest, most merciful most gracious, most loving Christians that I know believe some really ridiculous things. Really ridiculous. Really ridiculous. Things that make me laugh when they're not around. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and so, so I'm thinking, how can that be? So what is the truth, this core truth, upon which all godliness is founded? Well, it must be centered upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, so 
there's there's a lot of stuff that 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 we that we hold to be true. There's a lot of things that I believe that the Bible teaches. But I'm I'm here to tell you that there is a core truth. There's a core uh, matter of teaching in the Scriptures that is non-negotiable, and that anything that diminishes the atoning work of Jesus Christ, anything that diminishes His personhood, His divinity, and His humanity, anything that does that has to be rejected and has to be rejected in the strongest terms possible. And so, so what we have to see here is that those things, that, that core of the gospel uh, can never, ever, ever be compromised. But secondly, there's another thing to think about this as well, and that's this. If you believe something to be true, if you believe before God, and your conscience is bound because you believe that this is the truth, and you act against that, you go against that in some way or another, or you decide, you know what, I, I'm just going to blow that off, that too puts you in a position of, of, of severe jeopardy spiritually. So, so what we have to see here is, is that when, when, we, when we think about these things and when we, we begin to unpack it, you know, the false teaching that we're talking about here is, is not something that is, uh, that is a minor issue or, or something that, that Christians might even differ over. It is the very definition of the gospel itself. Peter knows that the flock, Peter knows that the lambs will die. Uh, without the truth. And so, so that truth, uh, that core truth about the nature of Jesus Christ has, can never be compromised, can, can, can never be hedged upon, can, can never be shaded in a way uh, uh, that um, diminishes Jesus in any way. And so when you think about this, when you, you come across things that, are, that, are, that sound iffy or, or teaching that seems a little weird, anything that diminishes Jesus, reject it. Get away from it. Have nothing to do with it because it's only going to lead to death. The great news is today is that Jesus loves his flock. He died for her and he lives by, uh, even now to protect and to guard and to warn us about the nature of our hearts, the nature of truth, and what we believe. Let's, let's pray now for the weak ones, for the unsteady ones. Let's pray for ourselves, and let's pray for um, well, the power of the truth in our lives. Lord, we, we ask you now to, to bless us. We, we recognize that um, uh, humbly before you that we, we, could, uh, we could miss the truth. And I pray that you would protect us from that. pray that you would help us. I pray today uh, as well, Lord, that uh, for those who are dabbling or who are uh, tempted uh, to, um, well, to ignore uh, what they know to be true, to ignore uh, what they know to be uh, uh, the very word of Christ, I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would send people into their lives to warn them off. Lord, I pray today um, uh, as well for those who we know and love who are wandering. Lord, that you wouldn't let them wander too far, uh, but that you would draw them back uh, uh, before their conscience or before their heart becomes so hardened uh, that uh, it's impossible for them to come back. So, Lord, we, uh, we hear this warning. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that... Uh, 
uh, you uh, desire to protect us. And I pray that by your spirit, you would do that work in our hearts and our lives today. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.